Please turn with me in your Bibles once again to Revelation chapter 3. Revelation chapter 3. Today it is my intention to conclude our series, Dear Philadelphia. And we focused primarily on these verses. Verse 7. And to the angel of the church at Philadelphia write, He who is holy, who is true, who has the key of David, who opens and no one will shut, and who shuts and no one opens, says this, I know your deeds. Behold, I have put before you an open door which no one can shut because you have a little power and have kept my word and have not denied my name. Now, I know that there's much in this passage as we read through the entirety of his uh, words to Philadelphia a few moments ago. There's much in this passage that we have not and will not get to in our study. But I just remind you of what I said when we began and what I say every year as we began these so-called New Year's perspective messages. That I begin the year with a message from the Word of God that brings something to our congregation that I believe that we need. Something that we need to focus on. An area from Scripture that is important to us, that is vital to us, that we need right now. And I believe that in the course of the past 13 weeks now, what we've looked at from this passage are those things that are important to this congregation, that are vital to us. There are many other things, good things, in this passage. But what we've looked at, what we've gleaned, are important to us right here, right now, at Grace Baptist Church today. Maybe some other time we'll look at some of the rest of this text because it is certainly a very good text. But as we close this study, I want to remind you of something that I mentioned in an earlier message. And that is that we face overwhelming opposition to the Gospel today. You know, that's contrary to what a lot of preachers say to their congregations. A lot of people say, a lot of preachers say to their congregations, you know, people are just out there waiting for you to come with the Gospel. Just out there longing for someone to tell them about Jesus so that they would get saved. I do believe that there are those still lost sheep out there. And we do need to bring the Gospel to them. But to think that everybody out there in the world is just waiting to hear about Jesus and is excited and wants to do so is not accurate. We face overwhelming opposition to the Gospel in our day. People hate Christ. People hate the Bible and the sentiments that come from anti-Christian people is everywhere. In the media, the news media is constantly anti-Christian in its message. We face an anti-Christian government in our day. Let's face it. Our government is anti-Christian now. They don't want to hear me say anything against sin, especially homosexuality. They don't want to hear preachers say anything against 
abortion or any of these other things. They are anti-Christian in what they say and would snuff us out, I think, if they could. But Hollywood is anti-Christian. We have anti-Christian liberal churches that don't want the Word of God, that don't want the truth of God. And we are finding a tremendous focus from electronics in the hands of our kids that would distract them from the reading of the Word of God and from the things of the Word of God. How many kids are just absolutely hooked on violent video games today who know nothing about the Gospel and don't want it? Do you think that they would like to replace their video games with the Gospel of Jesus Christ or the reading of the Bible? I don't think so. It's tough. This is what we're up against. Plus, when you seek to bring the historic Gospel, Reformation theology, which is historic and used to be what was preached in our day, when you seek to bring that, even churches are against you. Mock you. Now, this hasn't happened to me in some years, but in the past, in this very church, I have faced the mocking of some in our own Baptist association. You're that sovereign grace church. You're those people who believe that God is God. And it's like they mock. They mock us for seeking to bring the Word of God and the truth. Now, all of this is on top of what we have given to us in the Scriptures in the book of Ephesians of facing the powers and principalities of the evil one. And all of the hordes of hell are certainly against the proclamation of truth. And they would rise up against this church or any church that seeks to bring the power of God's Word, the power of salvation, and the truth to its people. So all those things are against us. How on earth can a church like ours with no resources and very few people ever accomplish anything for the Word of God? How can we do what God has called on us to do to bring the Gospel to the multitudes? How can we possibly expect to accomplish anything for the Kingdom of God? Worldly speaking, we can't. We'd be foolish to think that we can do it. Well, why don't we just go out and do this or spend a lot of money and do that? Well, we don't have the people and we don't have the money. So how can we expect to accomplish anything for the kingdom of God? Worldly speaking, we can't. But, but we serve a God who can move heaven and earth to allow this church to accomplish His purposes. Even in this dark day. Even against all this opposition. And even because we are so weak and so few. And that's what we're learning from the book of Revelation right here. As he says in verse 8, I have put before you an open door which no one can shut because you have a little power 
and have kept my word and not denied my name. And this is what we've been looking at over the past few weeks. We have seen that He is the one who is God as He addresses this church as the one who is priest, prophet, and king. In verse 7, He is the true, the holy, the mighty God. And because of that, He can open doors for this church. He can open doors for the church in Philadelphia. And I say without, without any hesitation or without trying to attempt to cover it up, I believe He can do it even for this church. Still, today, now, I do believe that He can. I do believe that He will. I pray He can. And I pray He will do this for our church. Open doors as we together do as He said Philadelphia did. Keep His Word and do not deny His name. Now what I want for us to do today is to look and see the power of God's help for this church and the power of God's help for this church. And that power is based upon who He is, as we have been saying all along. But because of that, He says in verse 7, that He is the one who opens and no one will shut, and who shuts and no one opens. What is He talking about? Opens what? Shuts what? He opens and no one can shut. He shuts and no one can open. Opens what? Shuts what? Well, he elaborates a little bit on it in the next verse. He says that I have put before you an open door. An open door. So obviously he's speaking about opening doors that no one can shut and shutting doors that no one can open. Now that's clear, right? But what does that mean? What does this open door thing mean? Does it mean that the church door is unlocked and people can come and go? And sometimes He locks it and people can't get out? I think we might try that. (laughs) You know, all kinds of people have very strange and elaborate ideas as to what it means for God to open doors. Just think in your mind about what some people might say. So, some churches, what might they say? Well, God has opened a door for us to have sister so-and-so come and preach. Oh, yeah? God opened that door, did He? Well, God has opened a door for us to uh, get our preacher a new mansion. I like that one. Now, don't get me wrong. I think that there are men in, in big ministries and if they can afford a house like that, God bless them. But to say God opened the door so we could get the preacher a new mansion. I mean, all these things like God opened the door for our preacher to get a new Rolls Royce or to get a new Rolex watch. Or, this is really what some people actually would apply things like this to. God opened the door for us to have a healing service. God opened the door for our preacher to bring a fresh word from God. Watch out for that phrase. A fresh word from God. 
We don't need any fresh word from God. We need the preaching of the old word of God. But this is what people have all kind. Oh, God opened the door for our church to build a big new building, in which I hope he will. But in so many cases, I'll guarantee it ain't God opening the door. We're going to talk a little bit more about this. But I want us to understand that the best understanding of what is being spoken of here is not what is important to you, but what is important to God. It's not what is important to us that God opens the door for. It's what is important to Him. And what is the most important thing to God? What He talked about. The keeping of His Word and the proclamation of His name. The holding up and exalting God in Christ. And all of this comes about with opportunities to proclaim Christ. That's the open door. That's the open door that God gave Philadelphia. That's the open door that I pray God will give us. Remember, I told you when we first began about this church in Philadelphia, that it was like in a key central province. It was an area that had a road running east and west and north and south and they'd go down to the Black Sea and they'd go to the rest of Europe and all this. It all sort of intersected right there in Philadelphia. And yet not many people stayed in the city because of the fear of earthquakes. So the church that was there obviously was given this tremendous opportunity by God to speak the truth of Jesus Christ to travelers who would be going east or west or north or south. And the Word of God was proclaimed there and then taken all over the world. What a strategic opportunity. An open door for the church in Philadelphia to see the Gospel of Jesus Christ spread around the then known world. An opportunity to proclaim Christ is what we seek. Let's see this from Scripture. I ask you to turn with me to the book of Acts chapter 16. Acts chapter 16. In this passage, we're going to see God shutting doors and God opening doors. And this is what is being spoken of in Revelation chapter 3. Look at verse 6 of Acts 16. And they passed through the Phrygian and Galatian region, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. A door was closed. But what was that door? Forbidden to what? Speak the Word. Speak the Word in Asia. What is speaking the Word? It is the proclamation of Jesus Christ. It is the proclamation of the Gospel. It is that which is so important and vital to the Kingdom of God. Paul didn't care if God closed the door for him to ride in a, a great chariot. Paul didn't care if the boat he was on sank as long as he could preach the Word of God. But here we have a passage that tells us that they had a door that was closed. And furthermore, in verse 7, 
And when they had come to Mycia, they were trying to go into Bithynia, and the Spirit of Jesus did not permit them. They couldn't go there either. Again, a door closed. And passing by Mycia, they came to Troas, and a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A certain man of Macedonia was standing and appealing to him, saying, come over here to Macedonia and help us. Remember in that hymn we sang this morning about the Macedonian saying, come over here. This is what that was written about. The Macedonian was saying, come over here and help us. That one from Macedonia in a vision to Paul, please come and help us. Now, I don't expect to get visions like that. Although sometimes I, I feel so greatly the need in this area. And you can almost picture people in this area. I feel, I fear in my whole heart and mind and soul that there are people right now sitting in churches who are not being fed, who are genuinely saved, but who are not being fed the truth of God's Word, who do not know the basic and simple truths that all of you in this church understand and know. The sovereignty of God, the power of God, the holiness of God, the desire of God for you to live godly and holy lives. Some of the indictments on the church today are that they are not teaching people the truth of the Word of God. And some of these churches, rather than being filled with the power of the Holy Spirit in these congregations, they, since they don't have that and there's a void of that, they seek to fill that void with drumming up excitement and entertainment through musicians or through uh, uh, singers or some other way to sort of make it seem like, wow, aren't we alive? Aren't we on fire? Instead of having the true sense and power of the Holy Spirit in a congregation from hearts that are alive. And that's when God comes in power in a congregation, in felt presence, as we say. And that's what we want. And so the Apostle Paul here said that he saw a man. And, and again, I, I ask that we would pray that God would give us a heart not to see visions of men asking for our help, but to realize that there are people right here who do need our help. And here then, this Macedonian standing and appealing to him to come to Macedonia and help us. And when he had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go to Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the Gospel to them. This was an open door. God closed the door for them to go to these other areas. They wanted to go to Bithynia and they couldn't. They couldn't go to Mycenae. But God said, I want you to go to Macedonia. And God opened a door for them to go to Macedonia. This is God opening doors for His Word to be proclaimed and preached. That's what we pray for. Look at another text, just over a page or two, to Acts chapter 18. This is exciting stuff. 
Acts chapter 18. Let's begin right at verse 1. After these things, he left Athens and went to Corinth. And he found a certain Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontius. And he meets with Aquila and Priscilla down to verse 5. But when Silas and Timothy came down from Macedonia, Paul began devoting himself completely to the Word, solemnly testifying to the Jews that Jesus was the Christ. And when they resisted and blasphemed, he shook out his garments and said to them, Your blood be upon your own heads. I am clean. From now on, I shall go to the Gentiles. There's a lot I have to resist speaking about here. But let's look further. And he departed from there and went to the house of a certain man named Titius Justus, a worshiper of God, whose house was next to the synagogue. And Crispus, the leader of the synagogue, believed in the Lord with all his household. And many of the Corinthians, when they heard, were believing and were being baptized. And the Lord said to Paul in the night by a vision, do not be afraid any longer, but go on speaking and do not be silent, for I am with you and no man will attack you in order to harm you, for I have many people in this city. God opened a door for him to preach in Corinth. It also gave us two great epistles in the New Testament because of what God accomplished in this city. This was God then opening the door in verse 11. And He settled there a year and six months, teaching the Word of God among them. Now, that's the open door we want. That's the door that God opened for all of these men whose names I've brought to you in the past weeks. Edwards, Whitfield, all these missionaries. God opened a door not for them to have luxury, not for them to have benefits, not for them to be noted and, and have biographies written about them, but He opened a door for them to preach the Gospel, to preach the Word, to teach the truth of God's Word. This is what we pray for. This is what we desire. Oh God, an open door to teach Your Word. Look a little further to 1 Corinthians chapter 16. I can't go through all of these and I'm just going to touch on two more here. 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verse 8. Paul writing to that church in Corinth now, but I shall remain in Ephesus until Pentecost for a wide door for effective service has been opened to me. And there are many adversaries. Just like Philadelphia. You have no power. And all the adversaries that they had. Yet, God has opened a door for effective service. God opened a door for effective service. I don't want ineffective service. I don't want lip service service. I want effective service for the kingdom of God. What is that? 
keeping His Word. Proclaiming His name. Persevering in the truth. Having effective service for the kingdom of God. Look over one more. Colossians chapter 4. As He exhorts us to pray for an open door to preach. Colossians chapter 4. Verse 2. And this is Paul telling us what we need to do. Devote yourselves to prayer, keeping alert in it with an attitude of thanksgiving. Praying at the same time for us as well that God may open up to us a door for the Word so that we may speak forth the mystery of Christ for which I have also been imprisoned. You see how we have a great door which seems to often be connected with adversity. Open the door for me, God, even though we have a lot of adversaries. Open the door for me, God, even though I'm in jail. Open the door for us even though we're only a handful. Open the door for us even though we don't have a building. Open the door for us even though we have very little money. Open the door for us, God, even though we face overwhelming odds against the Gospel. Even though we face opposition against the truth. Open doors for the proclamation of the truth of Your Word. That's what's being spoken of in Revelation chapter 3. And I make no apologies for pleading with you to plead with God that He would open opportunities for us. Oh, that God would open doors for this church in an amazing and an astounding way. Because that's the only way it could be. We can't do it. How foolish for us to think that we could on our power or by our might bring about something great here in Pasco County. How could we do anything great here with our limited resources and numbers? We can't. But God can. And so I am not at all ashamed to say that I do not look to gimmicks to get our church to grow. I do not believe that it takes a great music ministry or entertainment or short sermons or whatever else is popular in mega churches today. I reject those things. And I am not ashamed of rejecting those things because I stand by God. And I stand that He is able to use this church. And remember, it said in Revelation 3.8, Because you are small, but keep My Word and do not deny My name, I will open a door for you. And so I'm just happy about it. Lord, because we have little power here, because we have little money here, I believe You can do something. And only you can do it. Because we sure can. We will seek an open door to preach God's Word. Pray with me.
that He will do it. We're ready. God, bring the people. We're ready to bring Your Word. Now, this is why I believe it is absolutely right for us to do as Paul exhorts these people in, uh, in Colossia to begin with prayer. Pray. Pray that God would open doors. It has always been a problem to me to see the people of God, the genuine people of God, suffer or to be so small or to be so, as the world sees, unblessed while others continue to grow and seemingly flourish and say, these are great days for the Gospel. we got a healing service that has 5,000 people coming and all this stuff that they see. It does indeed break my heart. But it is God who must build a church. Look at Psalm 127, please. Psalm 127, verse 1. Unless the Lord builds the house, they labor in vain who build it. Unless the Lord guards the city, the watchman keeps awake in vain. Do you see what the psalmist is saying? We have people who go around and build all kinds of edifices to men. Products of shameless salesmanship, if you would. And they call these things churches. I tell you, they labor in vain. Unless God builds it. It's a rotting edifice to man's own efforts. It must be a living, breathing church which can only come about by the power of a sovereign God saving His people, adding to His church those whom He saves. He must build the church or else it's built in vain. I pray that our church would be a spiritual place because we worship a living God from heart city is made alive. And therefore, it's not in vain even if there's only a handful. It's not in vain even though we are weak in the eyes of the world. It's not in vain even though our resources may be few because it is a place that God has built. But just for a moment, allow your mind to wonder as to what it would be like if God were to open a door for Grace Baptist Church to proclaim His Word and that He would then build this church. We would not see a church built upon entertainment any more than it is now. We would not see a church that is concerned about what color the carpet is. We would not see a church that has factions or divisions. We would not see a church that has committees to do the work of elders 
or deacons to do the work of elders and committees to do the work of deacons, we would see a church just like this, only bigger. In other words, people, I don't want to change. I don't want to change for the world. I don't want to change to gain people to get them to come. I want to stick to the Word and I want to exalt His name. And I pray that God will honor that and that God will bring people because that's what I believe that God will build. Now, here's what happens when God does. Revelation chapter 3. Again. Revelation chapter 3. Here's what happens. And I believe that this can happen even here. I hope and I pray that it will happen even in this church. Because, as it says in the text, we are little in power. Because you're little in power, but you've kept my word. And and because you have not denied my name. Behold, verse 9, I will cause those of the synagogue of Satan who say that they are Jews and are not, but lie. Behold, I will make them to come and bow down at your feet and to know that I have loved you. Now, I'm not asking or thinking that anyone would ever bow at our feet. That's not really what we're talking about. However, this is what he is saying. It will astound the world. It will astound the so-called churches who are little more than synagogues of Satan. For years they've been telling me In school, they told me. In the denomination, they tell me. For years, they tell us, you need to do this to get people to come to your church. You need to get more music. And that is the first thing they always say. You need to get music to get people to come to your church. You need to have special music with people singing to get people to come to your church. You need to stop preaching so long to get people to come to your church. You need to stop preaching about sin. You need to stop preaching about the blood of Christ. You need to stop this or start that or do this or do that. And they always have the worldly, pragmatic view of how am I going to get this church built? I've had people that have come here and said, I can build this church. I can tell you how to build this church. Let me tell you. I can show you how to do it. I can do this. I can do that. How are you going to do it? What are you going to do? And none of it has anything to do with the proclamation of the Word of God. And that's what we want. We want to keep His Word and not deny His name. We want to proclaim His truth and exalt His name. And all that comes with that from the Scriptures is what we want. And we believe that God will honor that. That's what He's saying to this church. And the rest of the world will be astounded. All those churches that tell us what we need to do to build our building, to build this church, they'll be astounded. And they will have to say, as it says in the text, they will have to admit And to know that God has loved us. Because that's the only way it could possibly happen. God has to do it. God has to do it. God has to open the doors for the proclamation of His Word. That's how we'll build this church. And all these 
you, you can name them in your own heart and mind. You know them. You know the kind of churches that they are. How many groups are out there and say today, we are the true church? They're, they're up and down the road. They have uh, saints in front of the names of their churches most of the time. Not that that's always bad, but you know, you know what I'm talking about. We are the true church. If you're not part of our church, you're not part of the true church. That's what Rome says. If you're not a church in our church, you're not in the church. We're the true church. And yet, what do they do? They practice a works salvation and a works righteousness. And they totally deny the grace of God, the mercy of God, the sovereignty of God, the power of God to say the sufficiency of Christ's work on the cross. They're not the true church of God. That's not the true church. And you got these other churches, they're always out there saying, we preach the Word of God. We preach the Word of God. And how do they do it? Um, they read, and the angel of the Lord said, now you know, the other day, I was over in India. And then from there I went to Bangladesh. And they tell stories and stories and stories and jokes. Someone said to me this morning, does Chuck Swindoll ever really exegete Scripture? Or does he tell stories? You know what I'm talking about. You know when a church preaches the Word of God. You know when a church uses the Word of God. You know when a church upholds the Word of God as truth and brings it to the people because that's what God wants in His pulpits. You know. Even though they all say, we preach the truth. We preach the Bible. I've had people come here on many occasions just visiting a lot of times. And, and some have stayed. They say, you know, we read your website. It says you preach the Word of God. Everybody's website says that. You know, it's true. They all say that. But you know. You know. If it's true or not. And most of these places do not. And so what are they? Lying. Look at the text. I would cause those synagogue of Satan who say that they are Jews but are not but lie. They lie. They lie. How many churches are out there saying we have a special revelation from God? And it's not from God. You can keep that. It's a lie. It's a lie. It's a lie. I'm not saying we're the only church in the world, but I'll tell you what, there are very, very few churches anywhere around here who are going to bring the historic gospel and who are going to preach from the Word of God. There are just not very many of them. And so, I believe that one day it may be that God will open a door for us if it's not too late in this country because of His judgment coming. But I believe that it is quite possible that God would open a door for us to preach His Word and that He would use that to build this church and that these other false churches with all their advice and with all their lies would have to look at us and go, God does love them. God does love them. They never change their tune. They never change their methods. They never change their message. And God still blessed them. That's what I'm praying for.
That's what I'm praying for. So what do we do? We keep doing what God has called on us to do. To keep His Word and not deny His name. I want to ask you now, again, we're kind of summing things up, so I'll let your mind wander. You look around. Is it really possible? Could it really happen? Could He really do it? Do you believe that God can do it? That He can open a door for this church? Do you... Let's, let's, let's go with George Mueller. Do you believe He will do it? And I ask you this. If you do, why? And if you don't, listen to me. Turn with me in your Bibles to Isaiah 59. Isaiah 59. Look what God says here in verse 1. Isaiah 59, verse 1. Behold, the Lord's hand is not so short that He cannot save. Neither is His ear so dull that He cannot hear. I like it when it speaks of the mighty arm of God. Is His arm too short that He cannot accomplish that? which we need? Is His ear so dull that He cannot hear when we ask Him to? I don't think so. I think His arm is the mighty arm, the mighty hand of God who can do even as Nebuchadnezzar found out in the book of Daniel, who can stop Him? Who can stay His hand? Or say to Him, What doest thou? He is God! He can do all things. He is mighty. He is all-powerful. He can move heaven and earth for His people. How do I know? Look at Exodus chapter 14. Genesis, Exodus. Second book in the Bible. Chapter 14. This, as you will find immediately and remember, is when Israel has been uh, freed from bondage to Egypt. They've left. They've gone out. They're traveling out into the wilderness. And boom, they run into the Red Sea. And along comes Pharaoh's army. And the people see Pharaoh's army coming out to get them. Pharaoh's going to destroy them all. He's going to kill Israel once and for all. So the people in verse 10, as Pharaoh draws near, they say in verse 11 to Moses, is it because there were no graves in Egypt that you have taken us away? Boy, do these people forget quick. All those miracles that caused Egypt to, to send them out, gave them the plunder, all those things. Is it because there are no graves in Egypt that you have taken us away to die in the wilderness? Why have you dealt with us this way, bringing us out of Egypt? Is this not the word that was spoken to you in Egypt, saying, leave us alone that we may serve the Egyptians? For it would have been much better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the wilderness. But Moses said to the people, do not fear. Stand by and see the salvation of the Lord. And He will accomplish for you today. For the Egyptians whom you have seen today, you will never see them again 
forever. The Lord will fight for you while you keep silent. Then the Lord said to Moses, Why are you crying out to me? Tell the sons of Israel to go forward. What? Go where? We got the sea in front of us. How are we going to go forward? And as for you, lift up your staff and stretch out your hand over the sea and divide it. And the sons of Israel shall go through in the midst of the sea on dry land. And as for me, behold, I will harden the hearts of the Egyptians. And you know what happens. And so, here's a wall of water on the left, a wall of water on the right. How does that happen? It doesn't. Unless God does it. God can move heaven and earth to save and to help His people. This isn't in the Bible just as a story. This isn't just to remind the Israelites of what they saw. This is to remind us of the power of our God to deliver. So now, turn to Romans chapter 8. And here is where we will conclude our study. Romans chapter 8. God said to the church in Philadelphia, You've kept my word. You've upheld my name. And I've opened a door for you. Even though you're small, even though you're little in power, I've done all this. And here's the principle. Verse 31 of Romans chapter 8. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? If God is for us, who can stand against us? If God is with us, who can stand against us? Let the world bring all its guns to bear on Grace Baptist Church. Aim them right at us! Do it today! Do all you want! Say all you want. Belittle us all you want. We stand with God. And as He stands by us, there's nothing they can do. I know it's a cliche, but it's true. You and God are an undefeatable army. God before us, who could be against us? What does it matter? If God sees fit to open the door for this church, what can man do to stop it? He can't. I pray that God will. Huge, overwhelming wave. Though we are few, though we are weak, He is all-powerful and will fight for us and He will just sweep across North Tampa Bay with the proclamation of His Word. We look to Him for our help because we believe that He has the power to open doors even for a little church like this. Now people, this is not meant to be a pep talk. This is meant to point you to the Word of God because the church in Philadelphia was doing those important things, keeping His Word and exalting His name. This is what we must strive to do. 
This is what we must continually strive to do. Keep His Word and exalt His name. And I do believe that God, if He is pleased to do so, can open a door for this church that will sweep the North Tampa Bay area. And I exhort you, as Paul exhorted the church in Colossae, pray for it. Pray for it. Pray for it. And as we close, I close with one more man that I bring to you this morning. As I've brought to you examples of men for whom God has opened doors, this week I conclude our series with one of my personal heroes. I, most of you probably already know without even me mentioning anything else. But this man didn't go to Yale. And he didn't go to Oxford. In fact, he didn't go to any college. He never did. Never went to a college. Yet he was blessed by God with an amazing intelligence and a love for books that enabled him to know truth and a love for God's Word that enabled him to know. And he was extremely intelligent. We know that he was intelligent because he was a Baptist. This man was born on June 19, 1834 in Calverton, Essex, England. He was born to a godly Christian family. His mother was a godly woman. His father was a preacher, as was his grandfather. But because of financial problems, he had to be raised predominantly in his grandfather's home with his grandfather and his grandmother. But he had no peace from God. And he was constantly under terrible conviction because he knew his own sin. And even though he was only a young man of 15 years old, he knew his sin and his propensity to sin. And it troubled him. Drove him to his knees. And yet he still sinned and could find no peace and no relief. And on a snowy, snowy day, he was on his way to another appointment when the snow drove him into a little Methodist church. And in this Methodist church, 15-year-old Charles Haddon Spurgeon heard a fill-in preacher speak from Isaiah 45, verse 2, Look unto me and be saved. Look unto me, all the ends of the earth, and be saved. And there in that little church, on that snowy day, Charles Haddon Spurgeon was saved by the power of God. And he found peace in his life. Now he had already had this burning desire to read the Bible and to read other books that his father and grandfather had. So he already knew a lot about Christianity. And when God saved him, it just opened the floodgates. And he began to teach Sunday school to young people and to kids. And people realized immediately that God's hand was on this boy. Fifteen years old! And he preached his first sermon. He was kind of tricked into it because he thought another guy was going to preach. And the guy said, no, I'm not preaching. You're the one who's preaching. It was all set up by an elder friend. And he knew that God had 
laid upon Spurgeon unusual gifts. So he set it up. So at 15 years old, he preached his first sermon. Just amazing. And a few years later, by the time he was at the ripe old age of 19, he was called to one of the most prestigious Baptist churches in all of England, New Park Street Chapel. Now, because of road construction and different things of the day, the the church had declined in attendance. And so when he went there in that big church in the morning service, there were only a handful of people, a couple of hundred maybe. They heard this man, this boy, this 19-year-old boy preach. That evening, the church was packed. And it never changed. Year after year, the church grew. Thousands upon thousands came. They had to knock down some walls in the church to accommodate the crowds, and that wasn't even nearly enough. They had to go out and rent buildings, the largest venues in all of England at the time. And yet he filled them all, preached to thousands upon thousands upon thousands, and thousands were saved under the ministry of this man. They would copy his every word as he spoke. As he preached, he had stenographers sitting in the front, women, several women who would copy everything he said, just to make sure in case one missed it, another one would get it. So at the end of the day, his sermons were already being published. That day, published and distributed for a penny in some cases to the multitudes, to read the Word of God because God opened a door for this man to proclaim Christ to the masses. Thousands upon thousands. It is estimated that he in his lifetime preached to 10 million people. 10 million people. They eventually built the great Metropolitan Tabernacle which seated 5,000 or more And every week he would preach to 5,000 at least. And he didn't have any of this. It all came from here. From the diaphragm. And they did have a sounding board behind him, but still, preaching to 5,000 people every Sunday, at least. And then again in other, other places, in other venues, 10 million people. He eventually built orphanages and Spurgeon's College to train men to preach the Word because that was his heart and that was the door that God opened for him to preach the Word, to preach the truth. And God opened a door for this man, used this man. His sermons, as I said, were copied and printed and are available to this day. You can get them online for free even for most of them. You can hear many of them online. And as I said, this man who was referred to the Prince of Preachers is one that I greatly admire and appreciate and used of God to reach 10 million people. But today, God could have this sermon heard by 10 million people around the world if He opened a door to do it. Because you get these online, you get them on the internet, and what do you have? You have the whole world can listen. And so we pray 
That as God opened doors for this young man and this preacher who died at only age 57, that He will open the door for us. For me, for this church, to preach, to proclaim His Word as we keep His truth and as we exalt His name. God, use this church to Your glory. Open the door for us. Amen? Let's pray.